I'd like to um, say a few uh, words. It's probably going to be many words. A few words on um, on um, mental or emotional stability. I think it might be one of the maybe one of the goals of a practice uh, I mean check this out is that true for you is that one reason why you you uh, you practice to have some uh, stability of mind or or you know balance equilibrium and balance of heart so that the heart doesn't you know fall into a the extremes of, uh, you know, despair or clinging, gripping, grasping, um, reactivity of all sorts. You know, the the capacity to stay resourced uh, in a way. Uh, you know, in the teaching, it talks about the, uh, an unconditional freedom. You know, so it's a stability, or that doesn't uh, depend on the condition that where we could have, or maybe not have, what we want, and uh, be able to um, remain engaged, or maybe vibrant. Maybe more, more, more engaged, or a little bit more vibrant, instead of you know, you know, closing off or, or hardening or or dissociating or other things that we do. So I, I don't want to make it sound like utopia, you know. Like uh, that's why I'm saying more, maybe more, more stability of mind, <laughs> more, a little bit more resourced, uh, you know. And um, yeah, I, th- I think I'm um, inspired by uh, you know our our practice and what um, maybe particularly by um, uh, you know what you've you've shared, uh, Bunny, uh, in the last few days. I, I feel like I'm. Uh, I was telling you just before coming here, like oh, I kind of feel like I'm jumping on your train and following <laughs> your thoughts. You know. Uh, the first, the, when you talked about the first uh, evening, I think about the the what, the how, and the view, which was a new formulation for me that I really uh, enjoyed. Clearly, <laughs> I've been thinking about everything in this way since then. <laughs> you changed my life, <laughs> and um, yesterday you were talking about the seven factors, and somehow it, you know, it got me. Uh, going and so um, the stability I'm talking about or the balance of mind you know we could use uh, you, we could use the word equanimity to to talk about about it um, 
And uh, also thinking, you know, the end of the retreat, uh, that's not news, you probably know exactly. <laughs> it's, com- it's coming to an end soon. Uh, although you thought it would never, <laughs> it will, you know. And, um, and uh, you know, I was thinking, what do we want to uh, bring home? What would be helpful? What, uh, what you know, what applications could we uh, do of this practice? And I think for me, it's, a, it's one of the things I'm interested in, in the, in the vibrant um, heart, you know, that can be with uh, the beautiful and be touched deeply, even in a, an embodied way, you know, be really uh, traversé, like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no word for this in English. <laughs> no, there is. It just doesn't come. But being uh, really, uh, you know, experiencing beauty in a more fuller, in a fuller way and experiencing also, um, you know, what is... Uh, what is difficult? Actually, all this could go under one um, one uh, one wording, uh, which would be poignancy. You know, the, the poignancy of beauty, the poignancy of uh, uncertainty, the poignancy of uh, which is a translation I have these days for the word dukkha. What is dukkha? Poignancy. You know, when there is beauty. And knowing that we can't actually own it or, you know, integrate it completely, become it, you know, that it's, it changes, it escapes. There's something poignant about it. There's something poignant about not knowing what is coming for us, you know. It's very poignant being a human being. Do, do you find it? I think through practice, that's kind of a, practice is an acquaintance becoming more and more acquainted, acquainted with the poignancy of, uh, of yeah, being a human being, being us. So poignant, you know, that we're us together and we don't know how to be. We kind of know we have some, some ways, but, you know, it works. Not perfectly, for sure. You know, it's rough. So it's very poignant to, uh, to have a heart, have a body, to have a, to have relationships, to to live together, to to any aspect I find is, and how to uh, recognize, be attuned, be uh, you know, uh, vibrate with the world, you know, and its poignancy, and stay um, in equilibrium, stay balanced, not collapse. Uh, you know, uh, am I alone in my world, or uh, okay? And so, what I understand, um, um, and I don't know where I got this lately. So something I heard, like like this framing that you presented, that I like, uh, not too long ago, somewhere did I re- read or hear? I think there was a presentation of uh, 
where does this uh, stability come from? What are the causes of the stability of mind? And uh, the person who was talking about it um, said, I have no memory where I got this. Sometimes I'll read just... Like somebody was writing to me, uh, uh, where did you read this this thing about... um, about uh, metta as renunciation. It was just a line. It was just saying, you know, like, love could be understood as renouncing uh, judgment, you know. And from, from there, I, you know, I, I thought, oh, let's play with this. So even if I found the author, <laughs> it's like it's one line <laughs> in, in the book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it might not stand out so much. You know how, how it is. Like when we get quiet like we do, you know, the f- wisdom factor with the seven uh, factor coming in, you know, we, the seven factors of awakening, you know, there are the seven factors needed for insight. They are what we need for understanding, for wisdom to arise. And so when we practice like this, it's very beautiful to notice how we get attuned. We get. Uh, we're a little bit more quiet. We're less telling the world what it is or should be. We're just more taking it in, more available to be touched, you know. And in this way, you know, suddenly wisdom appears in the snow, in in all kinds of ways. You know, the teacher will say something. It might be half wise, you know, but we'll hear it in an extremely wise way. <laughs> You know, like, oh, Bonnie, Pascal, when you said, ah, I didn't mean everything you heard. <laughs> Thank you for feeding it back to me, <laughs> you know. You saw a lot more than what I said in my kind of two-dimensional <laughs> expression, you know. Suddenly for you, it had a lot of depth, you know. And, and I loved seeing this because it happens very, very often that people will describe, you know, oh, I said... You know, I was walking, on the, doing the loop, and in the gutter, <laughs> you know, I saw and I understood. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. Uh, there's a very beautiful expression of this at uh, one of the many poems of the um, monastic, the, the, the um, uh, nuns at the time of the Buddha. Is it the uh, Terigata? Terigata? Terigata, collection of poems, of uh, expressions of wisdom. And you know this uh, particular one that I remember is uh, this woman is saying, uh, all day I sat, I walked, I sat, I walked all day, all day I followed the instructions. No wisdom gained. (laughs) But she keeps going. Huh? All day I sat, I walk, I sat, I walk. No wisdom gained. But blowing at night, going to bed, blowing the candle flame. And the moment of blowing the candle flame, everything was understood. You can see, huh? like the factors came together. And there was an availability. This person was not occupied, preoccupied, under occupation 
with their wants and not wants and will it happen or will it not. It was dedicated very much to the what? To the experience of sitting, of walking, of, uh, you know, in a really good way, in a how way. <laughs> really well, you know. How was she attending? Were they attending to their experience? With the seven factors, you know, with calm and curiosity, if you want to reduce it to two, you know, in a steady way, not giving up, not forcing, not abandoning. How did I cross the flood? You're wondering how I crossed the flood? The flood of thoughts, of confusion, of emotions. How did I cross the flood? Without forcing, without abandoning. Forcing, I would get extenuated, exhausted, and be carried away. And uh, giving up, abandoning, I would collapse and be carried away. Not forcing, not abandoning. Gathering, gathering the mind and its uh, powers, factors. And in this way, uh, a clearer seeing happens. So we're talking about a mind that is extremely stable. Like it's not, no wisdom gained, and I keep going. Stable, stable. Uh, And so this stability in this thing I was hearing or reading somewhere. It's good that in uh, Buddhism there's a lot of anatta, you know. <laughs> so if I don't name the person who came up with this, uh, this thing, like I have a way out in Buddhism. <laughs> <So> <laughs> probably didn't come from them, <laughs> or it did, and uh, it was an arising, a conditional arising. But anyway, they were saying that the stability of mind comes from uh, many, uh, many other qualities that are developed. So there's many, it requires many uh, allies for stability. You know, it's not like, what are the causes for stability of mind? Will. I will be stable now. <laughs> you know, we can see it doesn't work like this. How does stability happen? You know, equilibrium, equanimity, the capacity to be with the world, the inner world and the outer world, to meet it and be in relationship and engage and contribute to what's happening. So it needs a host of many qualities. And uh, it's so obvious in the seven factors, you know, if you take stability as equanimity, it requires the six others before. They lead, uh, as the Buddha said, you know, when it rains in the mountain, The rain falls and uh, naturally goes down, joins a spring, the water joins the river, and the river leads naturally all the way to the ocean. In the same way, mindfulness will lead to curiosity, will bring energy, will bring a joyful curiosity that will calm the whole system. It'll be gathered, it'll be stable, and understanding will arise naturally. And so we need all these other qualities for stability of mind. And so here we I've been on retreat, so I'm sensitive like you are. So here we um, 
we have had the chance, the amazing chance, to gather beautiful qualities of mind, to, you know, slowly, and it's uneven, it's messy, but still, we keep gathering, gathering. And, uh, yeah, by gathering these qualities, we create uh, some of this uh, stability, at least for a few moments here and there, where we can see uh, more uh, um, clearly. And so sometimes if we move out of these uh, seven factors or the six factors required for equanimity, we could think differently, you know, how stability sometimes requires courage, you know, or tenderness, or... So it needs uh, many uh, different qualities uh, that we've been exploring here, not just... uh, them being named, but that's the power of this practice. Is it's it's a, a step deeper, you know. It's uh, embodied. It's felt, not tenderness as an idea, but the felt sense of it. Vipassana, seeing deeply, uh, feeling deeply, not curiosity or investigation, but the the experience of turning willingly towards of allowing something to happen, you know, a phenomena to be known, just this interest for what is there, losing interest for what is, should be or could be or is not there, and turning the interest towards what is happening here in a felt way. So we've <clears throat> here we had the chance with all these hours to actually be able to uh, have, uh, make impressions, really strong impressions, uh, of qualities of the mind, you know. And so these are things that we can bring back uh, with us, you know, that will be helpful in the different uh, situations uh, we'll find ourselves in. And so there's a particular um, virtuous, virtuous circle huh, that that uh, that I... I uh, I'm amazed by is so when we bring all these qualities together, they can be the seven factors or it could be other qualities. And I'm really interested in transportable stuff, applicable. So for me, the seven in my daily life are two. Pascal, is there some amount of calm, some amount of engagement, of intelligence, of curiosity? Just these two. It's probably going to help be with this, whatever this is, you know, pleasant, neutral, uh, unpleasant, just inviting calm, uh, inviting. Could we be curious instead of uh, aversive, you know, I don't want to make this phone call. What if we turn toward (laughs) that phone call, you know, bring a little engagement, yeah. So... uh, so when we bring all these in life, it's going to help us to learn something, to be with beauty. In, the, in, the, in terms of insight practice, this, these qualities, when they come together, they reveal the view. Huh? The stability of mind make uh, things appear, the, the universal characteristics appear. Huh? When we're very stable, when we stay 
and we're not commenting, preferring, but we're staying here, we see things arise and pass, arise and pass, moments, ideas, perceptions, wants, sounds, agreeable things, all these things pass, uh, are ephemeral. This is the view, a deep insight, a deep understanding of the ephemeral nature of things. Blowing the candle at night, I understood everything. I understood everything passes. Wow. I can't kind of clench, clinch on something. It's not in its nature to stay. It arises. Youth does that. Health does that. And so stabilizing the mind will make it possible for us to start to see the underlying pattern that is hidden by agitation. And we start to see, oh, impermanent, not permanent, not permanent. And the more we get intimate with this ephemeral nature of events, that's the virtuous circle. So the stability shows the view that is liberating, you know, the wise view, one of the wise view is to see the ephemeral uh, flickering nature of uh, events. And in, in the view, what will the view do? The view is one of the conditions for stability of mind. The more we understand that things don't have the capacity to satisfy us deeply, the more we're stable, the more we'll see, oh, it can't satisfy completely because it's unstable, it's changing. The more I will understand this deeply in a felt way, in an experiential, empirical, phenomenological way, <laughs> micro-phenomenological way, the more I will understand it like this, the more I will find that I have balance of mind, that I have equilibrium, the stability, emotional stability, emotional vibrancy, uh, engagement, uh, stable, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a yeah, commit, a, yeah, connection with reality that is uh, stable. So this is a, this is a, I think to me it's an important information. The more I correct my view about things, the more I'll be stable. The more I'll be stable, the deeper I will see the nature of reality. The more it will be liberating. Liberating means more stability, you know, the heart released from all what it visits it, you know. The more I understand, oh, this is not under my control the less I will fear lacking control and will want to control and will be frustrated because I don't have control. You know, something will give up. Oh, can't control this. I'll be able to let things maybe arise and pass. And another kind of way that stability... um, changes the view of things and how the view brings stability is uh, when we uh, become aware here as we sit and walk 
of the kind of a creation of the self, you know, maybe the unworthy self or the better than everybody else self or, you know, the different selves, actually, not self, selves that show up, you know, the self that want to be back home and the, the self uh, as it's perceived, you know, like it seems like myself is perceived by you in a way that I don't want, <laughs> you know. So others self, myself, <laughs> others views. You know, there's many self: the social self, the intimate self, the the discouraged self. It never worked for me. <laughs> never, I never amounted to anything. You know. And then there's the you know different uh, mind state, as you were saying. I think Bunny, the other the different mind state, different perception of the self. You know. You know. Oh, I've always found my way out of trouble. You know, you inject a little hope and suddenly the view changes, you know. And so as we sit here and walk and are in silence, we see these appearances. Have you seen that appears? It appears that being home would be so much better, you know. (laughs) And now it's finishing, so it appears like here is not so bad. (laughs) Home is really bad, you know. The mirage-like nature of how things appear, self, others, past, future, you know, possibility, they keep flickering like this. And so here we have the chance to see how, uh, how the self is very momentary kind of creation arising. Uh, and so um, I think it, it's, um, it drives the point, so I'll, I'll feel free to bring back an image that I've been using, uh, well, for a year now, because I, it, I saw this a year ago. And uh, I was in, um, where was I? I was in, um, in the Netherlands in, um, in the museum, and there was an um, installation. Is that the way you say it in English? An installation from Louise Bourgeois, uh, she's a famous uh, French artist. And so when we got in the room, I, I saw it from a distance, and I got really intrigued. And as I came closer, I was like, oh, my God, that is so much the meditation process that she's representing. I don't think she meant that, but my reading was that. So the installation is um, a cage. In the middle of the room, there's a cage. By the way, the door of the cage is open. In the cage, in the middle of the cage, there is, from a distance, you see uh, the size, kind of proportion of a regular uh, nondescript human being, you know. And as you come closer, you see there's legs, but the body actually is a, is a turd. <laughs> it's a big uh, kind of a emoji-looking turd, you know, like your, your classic perfect turd that, that you never had. <laughs> So this, uh, it's on leg in the middle of the cage. And there's a mirror in front. It's looking at the mirror. And I thought, how amazing is this? It's fascinated by its own image. It can't see that the, the door is open. That it could walk right out of the cage. It's stuck in the cage. 
because it's fascinated by its own representation. It doesn't even exist to start with. It's the creation of an artist. It doesn't exist. There's no turd. It's just material. You know, it's just uh, stuffing. There's no cage. Probably you can lift the thing. It's probably very light. You know, but from the inside, fascinated by itself. You know, I don't know, I'm so ugly, I'm so worthy of nothing, it's not going to work for me. You know, like it's fascinated and it's caught in its own creation. And, and, what, and we are invited to become aware of this. Oh, look at this. This is a creation of mind. There's no such thing. So do you see the change of view? From one view, from one perspective, it's me, a piece of shit. <laughs> and it's true, and I see it, you know. And in, from another view, it's a creation. It's just a creation. You know, it doesn't have to go away. There's freedom in it even being there when you know what it is, you know. And so seeing that new view, that new perception... Of course, when we'll gain stability of mind, you're like, oh my God, in the mirror, and, you know, and understanding, oh, this is just a creation of the mind. Oh, one can relax, right? And in this way, emotional balance is gained, you know, and freedom is gained, you know. And to me, that represents what we do here. We sit here and we see the different selves appearing, disappearing. We see that, uh, I think Joseph says that, uh, that it might be somebody else. <laughs> I'm getting closer to naming someone here. <laughs> says, you know, this, the I as an absolute unit of measure of everything. Everything is about I, what I think, what I want, how I'm perceived, what I will, you know. And that kind of, we're fascinated by this. And in the process of meditation, there can be a release of this. Oh, breathing is happening. Ah, it doesn't have to be about an I. You know, it's actually quite good. You know? the one side, one extreme is I hate being stuck with this I. The other extreme is I don't want it to go because I feel like I'm going to disappear and it's going to be really freaky. You know, this like emptiness. And suddenly we become, we become aware of the middle path. Oh, without the obsession, there's no disappearance. You know, there's just breathing here and tingling and maybe discomfort and, you know, what was mentioned. Anxiety is present. Joy is present. Playfulness is present. Numbness is present. Oh, different arisings, you know, but they're not perceived with the wrong view of it's about me or identification, being identified. Oh my God, I, I know there's just this sorrow here. There's uh, grief. There's appreciation. Generosity. Ease. This ease. Confusion. You know? With another view, a lot of balanced, balance is gained. Do you follow me with this? Oh, it's an arising. I don't have to define myself or a certain self by it. Yeah? And in this way, there might be a more fluidity 
in our life, you know. Suddenly it starts to resonate when you say, it's not personal. Oh, it's not personal in this way. I understand this, you know. This uh, equanimity, it's not surprising that it would find itself in the list of the qualities of the heart. Because that kind of, when you have that view, or this courage and these different qualities gathered together, and there is stability of mind, it gives so much breath and depth and duration to kindness. Then kindness is not kind of haphazard, or, you know, kind, very, very kind. Me, extremely kind, as long as it goes as I want. <laughs> you know, but knowing deeply that it won't go as I want, often, something relaxes, stability is gained, kindness uh, becomes more available, is strengthened by uh, the stability of the heart or equanimity. Compassion can stay around. And, uh, you know, the heart can start to have more... That's one way we can represent uh, stability of mind. We could talk about spaciousness, balance, but we could talk also about flexibility. That's one, maybe a manifestation of a stable heart, that it's flexible. It can be playful, and if something happens, it can become caring. You know, it's not like... In exuberance, like we're having fun right now, and that's it. You know, <laughs> things are good. You're not going to move out. You know, <laughs> we just want fun people having fun. You know, <laughs> you know. So it, it has that capacity to be. Or it's not stuck just in, in the, you know, seeing that everything that goes wrong. It's able to go and f- nourish itself, refresh itself. Yeah, these are very hard things, very difficult to be with. This, what works, what's beautiful. Refreshed. Let's go back in that field, you know. Um, Stability of heart. Took some notes. Oh, I, I draw. I drew a little turd. <laughs> Check. <laughs> there was um, this very wise being, uh, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu who lived in uh, Thailand. Uh, I think he died in the 80s. He was very, very wise. Um, many, many books, certainly a few books, um, very excel- excellent books. For me, some of the first books I read were from him, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu. Um, he was uh, around Suratani uh, in the uh, south of uh, Thailand. And um, he, uh, 
you know, he was in the countryside. The monastery was in the countryside. And apparently, sometimes he would talk with the farmers around. And he would actually give teachings around the seven factors of awakening, like Bonnie did yesterday, and saying, hey, these factors have to be there when you're plowing the field, you know, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do a whole day of work, you know, and do it well, you know. You absolutely need to be attentive. You know you need to be attentive to what you're doing. You, you know you need to, uh, um, you know, be curious about what's happening and, uh, and uh, be calm. And uh, if you have joy, it's going to be easier to do what you're doing and, uh, you know, and be equanimous when you hit a rock with, the, with the, the plow, you know, you have to correct if something breaks. You need to stay quiet and, and become really uh, curious about how it broke and how to fix it. And, you know, all these qualities are very, uh, in a way, very much part of your day which I think is very empowering to know this because we can make them so lofty, equanimity. You know, we never use it in English. <laughs> it means it's unaccessible. Yet, you know, if we didn't have it in the food line, <laughs> you know, it would, it would not end well. <laughs> and so these qualities uh, are there. And uh, it's good in a way to, to think uh, about them there and for me, it's very. I'm very curious about how we can uh, bring them in in our life, and so that's why I want to say these few words as we're going back home uh, soon. You know, where will there be when? Um, and I think you were mentioning this yesterday, Bunny, when we're watching the news. Like, what do we bring to that moment of practice? And so there's a kind of discernment uh, in the, in the practice. There's many kinds of uh, discernment. Uh, wisdom. It's a way to talk about wisdom. Uh, one kind of uh, discernment is uh, recognizing in an insightful way, in an embodied way, in a felt way, uh, experiential way, to, to start to discern between the different attitudes of our mind and which one are helpful or not, you know, which one are entangling and which one are liberating. Not from the list of 52 <laughs> that we would read. It's good to know, but that's just information, you know. Oh, I should be more kind. You know, I know I should be more kind. <laughs> you know, we could say that, but it doesn't. But when we've been touched by the kindness inside, you know, or when we've been attentive, available enough, and we experience the kindness of a another yogi or in the voice of the teacher, if it happens to be there, and, and we're touched, really touched, like we could even say shaken by these attitudes, then something transformed. That's the process of insight. Discerning in a felt way, in an experiential way, what is good for us and what is not so good. You know, I should stop being so hard on myself. It's just an idea. It's not going to work. You know, but being stable enough and to see that kind of attitude, tone in the heart-mind, like, you piece of shit. You know, you might not say it, but think it nonetheless, <laughs> you know. And when we feel this and suddenly, because of mindfulness and all the other factors, we're able to really be touched by the violence, be shaken. That's how 
you know, we find our way out of these uh, patterns. We have to experience them, soak in them. Like one um, famous uh, Zen teacher would say, you know, more suffering needed. <laughs> Just keep that attitude, whatever it is. It could be arrogance or It could be wanting to be back home when you're not, you know. Just want to be back home a few more hours until you're exhausted of wanting to be back home, you know, and suddenly arrive here, you know. So discerning in an experiential way what is helpful and being so touched by it that our value changes, what we start to really value, really entertain or cultivate or turn towards or... So that's one kind of discernment. Another kind of discernment. I hope you're okay with uh, impressionistic talks. <laughs> you know, because it's so not linear. <laughs> but that's the best I can do. You know, it branches out. I hope there's some beauty to it. I, th- I think it's a style, you know, there's many possibilities. <laughs> uh, another kind of discernment that I was trying to get at is uh, the recognition for the opportunity for practice. So we might think it's just on retreat. We might think it's just sitting with eye closed. And suddenly we discover uh, that, oh, you know, being present can happen not just in the sitting, but also in the walking. Not just in the form of walking, but in the going towards the walking place. Oh, in the food line. Oh, in my yogi job. Oh, in this relationship at home. Oh, watching the news. Oh, here. That could be practice, a climate crisis. Whoa, what a rich field of practice. Speech, oh, I thought I was only being silent, but no, I can feel my body, be aware of the mood that is here, what is about to talk, what mood, what mind state is about to talk, you know? What is acting here? Who's going down the stairs, you know? Rushing or mindfully rushing, you know? And so, uh, and so that's, that's uh, when we go home, this kind of discernment becomes, uh, it's beautiful to see it open. Oh, I didn't think I could bring it here. Or maybe I thought I could, but I, I thought that it would be a good thing, but I couldn't actually do it. But now, whoops, I'm waking up while it's happening instead of after, you know. So that's the unfolding of practice, the suddenly remembering, oh, I couldn't be here now. Oh, unpleasant. I've had hours of this <laughs> at the retreat center. Thank you. I know how to be with unpleasant. Oh, everything seemed pointless. I've seen this before. <laughs> Walking back and forth. Oh, pointlessness. Oh, I'm okay with pointless. <laughs> Things looking, uh, you know, being confused. Yes, I've ex- certainly experienced this before, you know. This alchemy, where instead of something difficult, of course, naturally leading to, you know, closing down, attacking, etc. How can something difficult lead to tenderness, lead to stability, lead to interest? Oh, this is really not working as I wanted. That's so interesting. It's really not what I planned. Look at this. The causes and conditions 
are such that it's going south <laughs> or astray, or I don't know what's the expression, you know? Wow, that's so interesting. I wonder how we're going to get out of this. Let me get, stay tuned in. <laughs> that might be helpful here. So stability of mind, balance of heart. I'm not talking about being flat. It's very important. What I'm talking about is very vibrant. One uh, definition that we uh, heard many times about uh, equanimity is uh, being equally near to all things. Being equally intimate with all things. Things appearing things disappearing, you know, the gathering, the separation, the pleasant, the unpleasant. Before we go back home, there's, uh, I wanted to say a few words about uh, uh, investigation because we... We, we brought back this, uh, this concept, notion, or instruction about like investigate, investigate. And I, I wanted to make sure there was uh, not confusion about what is meant by that. So I'd, I'll say a few words if you agree. Um, well, that's very rhetorical. It's really hard to say no. <laughs> um, about uh, investigation as I understand it in this practice. So the term in Pali is Dhamma Vichaya. If we translate it, the common translation is investigation of phenomena. So to me, right there, it indicates something, some things maybe. So we're investigating phenomena. So it says to me that it's phenomenology that it's empirical, experiential. That's what I get from that word. The Dhamma, with a big capital D, Dharma or Dhamma in uh, Pali, would mean in this context the teachings of the Buddha. Dhamma, with a small d, means a phenomena, an event, an experience that we have, like an experience of the body, an experience of the mind or heart. And so investigating phenomena means... Um, I use a a word that Rachel used today that I thought was very, very skillful. Uh, uh, Like the eye in rain, investigation. I used maybe interest. Rachel Rachel used uh, um, intimacy. So it's a closeness to... Because when we hear investigation, we might think uh, analyzing, thinking about... Does that meaning come to your mind? And so, but in the context of uh, the Dharma practice, it has a particular meaning. It's uh, investigating reality. You you could think of a biologist going in the forest to study an animal. You know, you just hide and you stay there attentive. That's investigating. You don't go mess up with the beavers. You know, hey, why are you, you know? (laughs) You just stay there. 
And by bringing a high-quality data collection, <laughs> yeah, uh, information is gathered and links are made by themselves. And so we just stay there, watch the animal, and say, oh, they're playing, oh, they come out at night, oh, you know, we start seeing patterns and the sense appears. And so investigating means bringing beautiful qualities of mind, stabilizing the attention so that it can actually uh, feel, uh, stay present to see how behaves different phenomena, how they appear and disappear, how they are not so personal. They are really phenomena that happen because of causes and conditions, you know. Ring the bell, and probably when you ring the bell at the end of a sit, it's a, it's a good condition, not so personal, for having people open their eyes. You know, you would think, I open my eyes, you know. But if we become really attentive, we'll notice that it's an outside event that make the idea of opening the eyes be born. Do you follow it? It's very, this is very deep teaching. <laughs> Superficially, we'll think it's me. It's me going to walk back and forth like a zombie. It's my decision. <laughs> is it? I think it's cultural. I think we say, hey, walking back and forth like a zombie is really valued here. <laughs> I'm going to walk back and forth, going nowhere. (laughs) I mean, it has a good reason. I'm joking about it, but it's true that we give really give value to it because a lot can be seen in this, uh, in terms of you know, uh, hiding states of mind that will reveal themselves in the course of the walking. But it takes a very stable, very attentive mind, a mind that is not in assumptions. I know, I know, it's me, you know. We have to really quiet down and actually not know anymore and check out the scene. And we'll notice, oh, it's interesting how this led to this, that led to this, that suddenly I'm in my bed instead of being in the hall. (laughs) You know? And so investigation is... uh, is a paying close attention to, is intimacy with, is a close contact, is an interest, being curious about a presently arisen phenomena in operation now. You know, and oh look at this. So that's the that's the turning the nub of curiosity. Um, so what often comes to mind uh, is um, You know, at at one retreat one time, there was um, somebody who was uh, saying um, um, there are crows outside. There was many crows outside where we were by the St. Lawrence uh, River up in Quebec. And uh, there was crows there. And the person was saying, uh, describing their experience, and they were saying, so there's the, it's, uh, it's really hard for me with the crows. They really annoy me. There's the two things that annoy me. 
the, the voice of the crows and you, Pascal. Your, <laughs> your voice, you're coming in, the meditation, your instruction. So these two things annoy me. And I'm trying to work with it. So I said, oh, turning the knob of curiosity, like, wow, you're so lucky. You know, you have a, a lot of phenomena to observe, <laughs> to become intimate with, you know. So how do you work with this, you know? And this person said, like, uh, I'm saying to myself, like, let go, let go, you know. They're not gonna, he's not going to go anywhere. They're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> let go, you know. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's one approach. How, how successful are you, <laughs> you know? And he was saying, well, you know, I'm working on it, you know. <laughs> and I said, oh, let me bring you another, suggest another approach, which is mindfulness, you know. Is, uh, I, you know, bring interest to the phenomena. You know, you're lucky. There's a phenomena happening of irritation. You know, you, there's a lot to discover. So we, you know, what we do in a kind of common sense way is we say like, let go, come on, let go. And people tell us, you know, I, come on, let go. That's enough, let go. But let go happens, how does it happen? Out of will? No. Let go happens from deep understanding, from clarity. When we see something is not useful, we clearly, clearly see it clearly. Vipassana, insight, let go happens. So I said to him, you could get really interested in the phenomena. For example, I'm thinking, do you actually need the crows or the ideas of the crows are enough now to bring the irritation that they might start? You know? Are you self-sufficient? <laughs> Have you internalized, internalized the crow or Pascal? You know? Do you really need me or just the idea that I might th- talk in a few seconds? <laughs> is enough for you, you know? And they was like, oh, that's interesting, you know? And so suddenly the idea would be like, can't wait for the next wave of irritation, you know? What will be the cause of it? Is it what I think? Is it really Pascal? Or the idea of Pascal <laughs> is enough, you know? Or what are the nuances? And what is the lifespan of irritation? You know, is, is it fluctuating? Does it, wh- where is it felt? So I'm asking all these things, but all these questions, if asked in investigation, they lead to what answers is silence? What answers is mindfulness? Is it paying attention? And so in investigation, I don't think there's many words. There might be a word to name. Oh, pain, pain. Just to frame it so then we could feel it, can feel it. Or a question. What is happening? What is happening? Oh, breathing. In order to feel, feel. So the investigation is, I think in a way, we, I think we could use the word passive. You know, it's, it's, a, it's just allowing things to do what they do, but with that factor of being awake and curious. And so synonymous to investigation might be curiosity, interest, intimacy. Uh, and so I think this is very, very transportable, applicable in life, you know. This, uh, th- to me, it's a saving uh, quality, this, that curiosity. Oh, when usually I would be aversive to, or, you know, all kinds of ways I can be in relationship with things, becoming curious about them is a way out of trouble. So that, anyway, from this point of view here, what investigation means, you know.
So it's not very discursive. It's uh, taking in. And one minute is enough for me to just maybe say a few words about stability of mind or mindfulness, all the qualities we've been developing in terms of thinking. So one common thing that we might uh, think is that, oh, in the Buddhist practice, you're not supposed to think. You know, <laughs> like we do everything to stop thinking. It's, it's not the case. I don't think it's true. Maybe there's a disbalance for many of us. We're let, caught in it, you know, occupied, fascinated, enamored with every one, every one of our thoughts, you know, as if, you know, it would, you know, and on the three-month year, you know, sometimes after six, seven weeks, you know, hours and hours of silence and sit, walk, sit, walk, you know, Joseph would say maybe, I wonder if the next thought will do it. <laughs> and suddenly you see the trace, <laughs> you know, you're like this, you know, almost Christmas, you know, and you started end of September, you know, like, uh, wow, it was not that successful. <laughs> And I'm still investing in the next one, you know, like, oh, the next one is really important, you know. And so just to bring back the balance, that's not the only way to to be intelligent, you know, and uh, it doesn't solve everything, you know, just the thinking. And especially how we're accompanied in thinking. And so that's what I want to finish with. So what I've learned through the practice of meditation, like we have the chance to do here for me, is to think better accompanied. So if something happened that was troubling in the morning or in the past, or I have to plan something in the future, I don't want it to happen through um, agitation, compulsion, obsession, really bad decision makers, really bad at understanding what truly happened. You know, And so here, it seems like I've been given the tool to be embodied, you know, and have the whole system resonate with its intelligence, you know. And so the skin, in a way, can, oh, just thinking about this makes me uncomfortable. Oh, I'm not quite at ease with what I said. You know, I can feel it. Or in my guts, you know, like I, I make it in parts, you know, but it's maybe not that clear. But I know I'm here. Okay, Pascal, we have to review this. What happened? Just the heart gets a little tight, just thinking we have to process this thing, you know. Ah, okay. So it's bodily based. It's based here. It allows emotions to be recognized in name. Ah, it's troubling for me. It's troubling, you know. Ah, there's this little part, this little voice. I keep pushing it away. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's what you, yeah, there's this part, you know. I don't know if I'm doing a good job at it, but... (laughs) just now, but um, like thinking with mindfulness is so much more helpful in terms of, because if I think of, do I say yes, do I say no, do I say yes? If I stop a little bit and breathe sometimes, it's like, oh, I don't know now. I actually don't know. Can it be okay that it's not clear? Or, of course, I'm not going to do this. Although I wish it would good be, be good for this person. It's not possible for me, you know? And the answer doesn't come from overthinking. It comes from, you know, the integrity of the system, the intelligence, the information that is there when, you, when we give it a little space. 
So these little bits and pieces, slightly about going back home and the stability of mind and heart. Let's take just a moment uh, here. we be able to bring these beautiful qualities that we developed uh, collectively and individually to our lives so they can protect us truly and protect uh, others around us. May we all experience uh, freedom, deep freedom, ease